2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. The word of the Lord. All right. Good morning, guys. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here at, uh, at Trailhead, and I uh, want to welcome you if you're a guest. Um, we're kicking off a new series. Great time to jump in. Um, and uh, we have some very important things going on in the life of our church that are kind of guiding us through this sermon series. We're going to take some time and uh, talk about money, which is everyone's favorite topic, right? Um, some people are surprised to find out that um, Jesus talked more about money than he did about love or heaven or hell. In fact, combined. Uh, money was one of the central topics about which he talked. Not because money is the most important thing in life, but what we do with our money and how we relate to our money does show us what we think is most important in life. Our money is a glimpse into our heart. And what we do with our money not only shows us our heart, but shapes our heart. There are few things more powerful in life, in, in shaping our heart, than money. Which is why Jesus made such out, outlandish statements as it is easier for uh, a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Statements that we often don't think about and brush over as being some of the wealthiest people that live on the face of the earth. Money is important because it shows to us what we find to be most important. Um, as I was wrestling through this, and we were getting ready to do this sermon series and really talking about the challenges that are facing our church um, and looking at the financial pressures that are coming and, and the opportunities that are coming with that, I was really hesitant, to tell you the truth, um, to do a five-week series on money. Um, I mean, my first impulse, honestly, was to do a five-week series really talking more about stewardship, general stewardship of our time, our talent, our treasures, and our relationships. I thought that'll be, that'll be more tolerable. That'll be um, more, more palatable. Um, but here's the thing. I, I needed to repent of that. Um, we have kind of a critical juncture in front of us, a crossroads of opportunity and challenge. And we need to talk bluntly about money to navigate what's coming. These are historic crossroads in, in the life of this young church. And, um, and the reality is, talking about money is talking about the gospel. Because money is a gospel issue. How we relate to money shows us a lot about how honestly we relate to grace. How we relate to money shows us a lot about how we relate to God. And it's going to make us uncomfortable, I'm going to tell you up front. <laughs> it's going to make us uncomfortable. Um, we don't like people to talk about our money. We don't like people to push on us in ways that make us uncomfortable. We don't like 
the light shone on areas. When's the last time you heard a sermon on greed? You'll hear people talk about sex and pornography. You'll hear them talk about um, living moral lives. You'll hear them talking about moving out on mission and sacrificing. Um, but we don't like to talk about money. We're going to. I think it's, I think it's vital to, to, to the, the place we are as a church. I think it is honoring um, to the gospel's work in our church and what God is doing. And, and honestly, I think it's going to free us in some beautiful ways. The more I sat in this, the more I thought about it, the more I was really excited about it. Not because it's like this uncomfortable thing, but, but the reality is Jesus talked about money a lot because when you attack something that's so critical, when you come with the gospel to an area that's so critical in your life, the potential for impact, the potential to move into freedom, the potential to release you into joy is phenomenal. So I have a lot of hope moving into this that um, it is not just going to equip us, but it is going to free us in some beautiful ways. Now, connected to this is, is honestly a capital campaign, and, and we've done a lot of talking over the last several months about um, our attempt to, to take advantage of some opportunities, which I'll be unpacking a little bit in a moment. Um, and the phrase capital campaign came back in a very negative way. People did not like the phrase. And so we're like, well, do we call it fundraising? Do we call it love offering? Do we try and get spiritual? We decided just to be blunt and be honest. Um, we're going to try and have a little bit of fun with it. We're going to be very upfront about it. Uh, but the reality is it is a capital campaign because we are raising capital. We are on a campaign to raise capital to take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of us. Um, in connection with this, we've put together some promo material that honestly is just going to help us promote our push. Um, and part of that is being launched this morning. So I wanted to share a video with you this morning that we've made to help us promote the church and the goals of the church, and we'll go from there. So let's go ahead and queue up the video. You want to impact a local community for good. You want to address issues of education, poverty, social injustice. There is no better way to impact a local community than to plant a local church. Because you're going to get people who live in that community who come to love that community, who address the issues of that community. It's about planting a hope that's going to rejuvenate and change that community. Walking in Christ is a community on mission. And those three ideas, walking in Christ, as community, on mission, pretty much defines who we are and what we do. Um, we're about loving God, we're about loving each other, and we're about moving out in love to people that don't know us. Trailhead's not exactly a traditional church name. And what I realized was I wasn't really naming it for us. Um, I was naming it for the community. I was naming it for the people we hadn't met yet. What I found was Trailhead seemed to resonate, um, that, that name. And that's partly because Edwardsville is a town surrounded by trails. We have hundreds of miles of bike trails through the Metro East. And that idea of Trailhead connects us. The trails connect all the communities. It ties the entire community together. The Trailhead is the place where the trail begins and ends. It is the origination and the goal. And, and in that sense, it's a very spiritual reference in the sense that God really is the beginning of our stories and consummation. He's the one that, that, that began it all, and, and He's the one that's wrapping it all up. And in the middle, we're traveling this story. We're living our stories. We don't value just the insiders. I mean, that really is. There's a sense in which we want to welcome people in. 
we're kind of the beggars who found bread, but it's more bread than we can eat, and we're just happy to share it. And so there's that sense in which you're going to find that here. You're going to find people that are that are eager to just say, "Hey, man, this is this is what we got going on here, and, and we'd love to share it with you." We have a unique opportunity right now to sacrifice, to invest. What we invest in is going to last way longer than our presence. And so my hope coming out of this, one of, one of the things that we're, we're trying to do is, is obviously provide a need for, our, for our, our own body, our own people, that we'll have a place to meet. The building is a tool that we can use that's going to enable us to, um, to serve our people, serve our community, and serve the, the broader mission of the church. is that this will be um, not just a church that lasts for a couple years, but a multi-generational church, a church that will be in this community long after I'm gone and will continue to fight for what it means to be real, to, to really follow Jesus, to experience and, and know the love of God, and to connect with our community in a meaningful and um, in a relevant way. This video is actually going to be embedded in um, a new website um, that's connected to ours. You just need to go to trailheadonline.org and you can connect. And it is specifically focusing on the opportunities and the challenges that we're going to be unpacking today and over the course of the next um, five weeks. So we're, we're calling um, our our uh, our campaign um, really in, in shortened form. It's rooted in growing, but it's rooted in grace and growing in gospel mission. Um, and, and in order to do that, we're going to spend five weeks and we're going to just talk about money. We're going to open up the scripture, right? This isn't just me talking about money. What I want to do is unpack some scriptural principles about um, money. And here's the thing. I named this Get Greedy. It was a tongue-in-cheek thing. You know, it's, it's my way of saying we're going to have a little bit of fun with this. But it's also my way of making a point, and that is that if we get greedy for the right thing, we are going to be released in, in generosity in the right thing. Right? When we get greedy for the right thing, it frees us from slavery to the wrong thing. Because greed is, is a word that simply means a strong desire. It's a word that, that is, is sometimes called lust if you're greedy for, for sexual things. Greedy thing, when you're greedy, you're normally, it normally means for materialism or, or, or money, right? But it means to have a strong desire, a jealousy for. And the reality is, Scripture calls us to be jealous, to have a strong desire to be greedy grace, that we have been given in Christ the greatest gift that has ever been given. And God is most glorified in us when we are most delighted in Him, when we look at Him and say to Him, you are the greatest gift. You are the source of all joy. You are the source of all beauty. And I find my greatest satisfaction in you when we get greedy for God. We are released in generosity which honestly releases us in joy. So we are going to spend some time talking about getting greedy, greedy for the right things. There are three goals that I have for us over the course of this series. Um, the first is I, I hope that we will grow as a generous people, 
that we really will be released by grace to generosity, that we will have our eyes focused on how much we've been given and as a result be freed from our enslavement to materialism. The second thing I hope is that we're going to see ourselves increasingly as a rooted people, people that are rooted in grace, right? That our roots go deep into the work of Christ and our identity in Christ and who He is and who He says we are, and that frees us, but also a community that is rooted in this community, a, that, a, a, a community in the community, that we, we want to put down roots in this community so we can increase in influence and in ministry and in service to this community. And I want us to grow in our awareness that we are a sent people, that we are, in fact, following a God who is on mission. And in following that God, we are sent on mission. To be a believer in Christ is to be a follower of Christ. And to be a follower of Christ means that we follow Him on mission, right? So we see ourselves as those who have been entrusted with a great treasure, but that treasure is not for us. It is a treasure to be given away, a treasure for people in this community, people that don't know Christ, people that are hurting and broken, people that need the healing word of the gospel, and new communities that we won't personally touch, but we will influence through um, our partnerships in um, starting new churches. So to do this, we are going to spend some time in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 um, are the central passage in the New Testament on giving. Um, Paul wrote these chapters to the Corinthians, and Paul was in full-on fundraising mode, okay? When, when he wrote these chapters, when he wrote this letter, he was involved in a multi-city, multi-congregational capital campaign. He was raising money and was writing to the Corinthians, um, to remind them, this is not the first contact, but to remind them that he had already explained to them the vision of the project and that they had already bought in and said, yeah, this is worthwhile, we want to be in. And he is, through the course of this teaching, reminding them of what's most important. So he is raising money and he has two goals. The first <clears throat> is, is to have an immediate impact on a, on a, on a community. Um, they are raising money for um, some needy believers in Jerusalem. The, the, the church exploded in Jerusalem, and at this stage in the game, um, the church had started spreading to, to, to Gentile communities, and the believers in Jerusalem found themselves in crisis and in serious need. And so he was going to all of these new believers that had benefited from really the sacrifice of this original core group, if you want to put it that way, and is saying to them, look, let's partner together. Um, to, to move forward in grace and, and, um, and, and make an impact on this specific community of believers. But secondly, it's a, it's a move forward in mission because the partnership with the believers in Jerusalem was critical to the advancement of the gospel. And in fact, for Paul to go back to Jerusalem with the gift would actually propel him all the way to Rome and um, would, would uh, introduce the, the next stage of his church planting endeavors. So Paul in this section is really giving us an extensive and, and thorough teaching on giving, why we give, how much we give, um, what we give to, right? And here's the thing, Paul, and, and you find this through all of his letters, when he is writing to these young churches, he, remember, he, he started this church in Corinth, right? He, he, he laid down his life to spread the gospel, and, and he, he went to this community. He, he preached the gospel. People became believers. A church grew up out of that. And he's writing back to these people like a father to his children. He loves them. He is greedy for them to experience more grace. He is greedy for them to grow in what is truly 
valuable to move forward on mission. Um, so what he's really greedy for is not their money, but their hearts. Their money simply shows them where their hearts are, and the use of their money helps shape their hearts, right? He was jealous for them to experience more grace. So he starts off with, with really kind of a crazy story of grace. He's writing to the Corinthians, but he's going to tell them first kind of a crazy story of grace. And in um, verse 1, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. He starts off by saying, look, man, I want to share a story of grace with you. Before I talk to you about money, I want to, I want to envision you a little bit. I want to give you, a, I want to give you a, an old school word of testimony, right? I want, to sh- I want to tell you a story about what grace has done in a different community, right? Because you need to see this, right? Because I'm not talking to you about the gift. I'm talking to you about what this gift is going to do to your heart. And I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you this story of grace because I want you to see their gift, but more importantly, I want you to see their heart because these Macedonians are being undone by grace. Now, he talks about the Macedonians. He's talking about a, a small group of cities, um, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. Um, you can read about Paul actually planting churches in these cities in Acts chapters 16 and, and 17, when he traveled through that region to plant those churches. It's a pretty fascinating read. Um, it didn't go real well. <laughs> he goes to Philippi to, to start this church, right? And he's preaching the gospel. It's like not very long before he's imprisoned, right? Not a real friendly place, right? They take him and Silas, they, they imprison them, um, and, and he is still ministering and, and preaching the gospel and, and telling people about Jesus, and people are becoming believers, and and um, God does some radical, kind of miraculous stuff, but the Philippians are like, dude, keep moving, okay? The church has started. We'll take it from here for your safety. Move on, okay? So he moves from Philippi to Thessalonica. Thessalonica doesn't get a whole lot better. People rise up in actual mob violence against Paul and, and the people that are, that are sharing the gospel, in, and, and, and they actually seize some of the new believers and drag them into court. It gets really violent, really hairy, really fast. But a church has started. He preaches the gospel. People believe the church has started. The persecution comes in, and they take him in the middle of the night, and they're like, dude, for your safety, we'll take it from here. You move on, <laughs> okay? Time to leave Thessalonica and go. And so he leaves, and he goes to Berea. The Bereans actually receive him very warmly. There's actually a great reception um, in the beginning. The problem is the mob violence from Thessalonica follows him. As soon as the, 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 um, the rabble-rousers in Thessalonica hear that he is in the nearby town of Berea, they're like, well, we're going to go there too. Um, and they go there and they stir up a bunch of trouble. Things get violent. So what do they have to do? They have to take Paul in the middle of the night, stick him on a boat, and ship him away. They're like, dude, we'll take it from here. Okay? People have become believers. There's a church started. Time for you to move on. All right? That's kind of the history of the Macedonian churches. It was a church that was begun in persecution. It was a church that was begun in affliction. The people who became believers in those communities paid a real price for their faith. This wasn't just them saying, well, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus because I'm going to have a richer, more full life. I hope that I'll maybe have a little bit more personal contentment. These people became believers in Christ because they believe Jesus rose from the dead. And when someone rises from the dead, you kind of have to pay attention to them. 
right? Even if it costs you something. And so these guys became believers under extreme situations and extreme duress, and their faith was vibrant and alive, even though they were paying daily for it. They would have been alienated from their culture. They would have been alienated from the economic structure of their culture. They would have been alienated from from the social structure of their culture. So they were paying with the loss of friends. They were paying with the loss of job opportunities. They were paying with suffering. That's the background. That's the group of churches that we're talking about. These are young churches led by young leaders. They are persecuted, alienated in financial hardship. And Paul is saying, look, before I talk to you about money, I want to tell you about these guys. Because they understand something about grace that we need to hear. They were generous. But they were generous because they got grace. In fact, take a look at uh, verse 2. I'm going to throw it on the, uh, the screen. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 8, 2. Paul describes them this way. He says, For in a severe test of affliction, I just explained that to you. These are churches that were persecuted. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. All right. I want you to see how counterintuitive this is. A lot of times when we read the Bible, man, we just kind of blitz over these things. We don't really pause to pay attention to what we're actually reading. Think about what this is saying, because this doesn't add up. You're talking about a group of people that are under affliction. They are being persecuted. They are being treated unfairly. Things that were theirs are being taken from them. Opportunities that were their right are no longer being offered to them. They are coming under persecution and losing freedom, losing economic value because of their faith. They are suffering extreme affliction. And as a result, they are facing extreme poverty. This is a community that has quickly become impoverished. Because during that period of time, if you couldn't trade, you couldn't make money. And if, if, if people became hostile to you because of your new faith, you paid a real economic price. So you add their extreme suffering. It's like a math problem here. Take extreme suffering and affliction plus abundance of joy. And that results in an overflowing wealth of generosity. This math doesn't make sense. This math is not intuitive. This is not the way most people live. And honestly, this is not the way most of us live. In fact, in verses 3 and 4, Paul has to kind of tell them to chill out a little bit. In verses 3 and 4, he says this. He says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. I wasn't twisting their arm. I didn't tell them to do this. They had an internal motivation that was way beyond anything I could offer them. In fact, verse 4 says they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Can you imagine doing a fundraiser and having people beg you to give you more? I mean, these guys were like, please, can we give more? We have suffering and extreme poverty, and we're adding to that abundant joy, and the result is extreme generosity and freedom, and joy. What's going on here? See, they're driven by grace math, not greed math, right? They're driven by grace math, not greed math. We understand greed math. Take a look at this. Greed math says this. I focus, first of all, on what I have. What do I have? I have a car. 
I have a TV set. I have an entertainment system. I have a 401k. I have a certain level of income, certain level of influence. I focus on what I have. And I protect what I have, right? I mean, I worked hard to get my car. I worked hard to get my TV. I worked hard to get my Xbox 360. You know what I'm saying? I worked hard to earn this level of income and this level of influence. I focus on what I have. And what do I add to that? Well, I add to that an increasing desire for more, right? How much is enough? How much is enough? The answer is always a little more, right? How, how much entertainment is enough? A little more. How much money is enough? A little more, right? How many cars are enough? One. Now two. Two, right? Are two cars enough? No. Why? Because as soon as you have two cars, what do you want? Better cars. Some of you want three cars, right? I'm at that stage. I have four drivers in my family. I need more than, right? We're down to one car because uh, we gave the others away. And, and, you know, so we've got one car, but my daughter, both my daughters have their own cars. And it's like, okay, we have a car. What do we want? A better car. I want a car with dual climate control. I really do. You know why? Because Lauren drinks soda in the morning and I drink coffee. I'm sweating. <laughs> She's freezing, right? We're like trying to figure out how to set the climate that fits both. No, I want dual climate control. She wants heated seats, right? I want cold air blowing on me, right? We want, we want, we want Bluetooth. It's not good enough that we have MP3 player that I can plug in with my USB cord. I want Bluetooth because I like to listen to my music and I don't want the hassle of plugging in a cord. I want a Bluetooth radio so I can just put it on and listen to my music while I'm driving. You know what I'm saying? Like, isn't that the way it works? I focus on what I have and I focus on how I want more. Is this not right? Because what we're subtly telling ourselves is, is what I have isn't enough. And if I can just get a little more, then I'll be content. I have a TV. I want a bigger TV, right? It's like, oh yeah, I remember back in the day, man, this 42-inch TV, man, this was like, the, the, this was killer, man. This was like, everybody wanted to come to my house. Nobody wants to come to my house anymore. They've all got 55-inch TVs, right? They got this high-def plasma stuff, man. The sports look so much better. Mine's LCD. I, I need to have a 55-inch plasma. You know what I'm saying? Like, you guys think, is this not real? Is this not the way we think? This is greed math. This is us thinking about what we have and saying, all I need is a little more. You know what the result is? Is, is it greater contentment? Greater joy? Greater freedom? Is that, is that what results from this kind of math? That's what it promises. The problem is this math never adds up. You can add more and more and more and more, and you will never finish the equation because it never ends in contentment. It will end in a lack of joy and reduced generosity. You will actually be robbed of joy. You're like, nah, dude, really, I just need the new Xbox One. And once I get that, then I'll be so cool, man. It'll be, I'll be, yeah, right. You'll be really excited about it for maybe six months. 
and then you'll need the PS4, right? You'll be really excited about this new entertainment system or this new car or this new home for a little while, right? Because it never gives you what it promises. The math never adds up, all right? So that's, that's greed math. Greed math is, is promises much, gives nothing, and in fact, reduces, reduces what's truly valuable in life, right? You can have more and more stuff and less and less contentment, more and more things, less and less joy. You don't believe me? Just look around you. Is this not the path that we see most people walking in life? The people with the most are the people that are experiencing the least, if that's all they're focusing on, right? That's greed math. That's greed math. All right, we want to talk a little bit about the Macedonians here because the Macedonians get a different kind of math. They get grace math. Grace math is not intuitive. Grace math doesn't make a lot of sense to us. Grace math is not what we're taught in schools. It is not what we teach in our culture. It is not what we're finding when we turn on the TV and watch our commercials. It is not what we're going to see modeled on our sitcoms. Grace math is something that is completely counterintuitive because it's modeled on a person called Jesus, who was the most counterintuitive person to ever walk the face of the earth, right? He's the one that said, if you want to gain your life, lose it, (laughs) right? We ignore that stuff. He didn't really mean it. Yeah, he did, right? He's telling us something about ourselves, the way we think, the way we operate. And what he's saying is, what you think will give you freedom won't. I've got something better. It's called grace. Grace math begins with a focus, not on a discontent on what I have, but a focus on what I've been given. Grace math doesn't say, man, what do I have? Grace math begins with a reminder of what I've been given. Let me ask you something. What have you been given? Yeah, salvation. That's pretty valuable, isn't it? (laughs) Deliverance from our sins, right? The fact that Jesus died for our sins, was buried and rose again in new life so that we could be forgiven, have new identities before God, could stand before Him as His son, as His daughter, based on Christ's merit, not our own, covered in an alien righteousness. That's, That's a pretty good gift. That's not bad right? That's worth a few dollars. You know what I'm saying? Like, could you put a monetary value on a gift like that? You really couldn't, right? That is the greatest gift. That is the revolutionary gift that completely changes all of life. But let me ask you something. Beyond that, what else were you given? Let me, let me put it this way. Is there anything you haven't been given? You're like, yeah, I, I wasn't given my job. I worked hard for that. Okay, who gave you the talent to work for it? Well, I went to school and I developed it. Yeah, but who gave you the raw materials to develop you have nothing that you haven't been given. Your intellect, your possessions, your opportunities. We are not self-made men and women. That is an American myth. Now, we can work very hard to develop the gifts that God has given us to make maximum opportunity of the things that He has placed before us, but we have nothing that we have not been given. If you don't agree with me, try to speak something into existence. As soon as you can start speaking things into existence, I'll agree with you that you haven't been given what you have. Even the raw materials of life are spoken into existence by God and given to us for stewardship. We have nothing that has not been given to us. Grace math begins with a focus on the fact that we have nothing that hasn't been given. We focus on not what we have, because that's ownership, right? When I focus on what I have, what I'm I'm doing is, is I am saying this is my domain, to protect and to build. This is my kingdom that offers me importance and comfort and a name. 
when I focus on the fact that I am simply a steward of what has been given to me, it completely shifts my identity. It's not about me as owner. It's about me as steward. It's not about me as creator. It's about me as one who develops what has been created for God's glory and my good, right? So it begins with a focus on what I've been given. What is added to that? Well, the natural outflow of that. The natural outflow of focusing on what I've been given is an experience of gratitude and joy. When you realize that you have nothing that hasn't been given to you, you will actually become grateful for what you have. Instead of adding to ownership a level of discontent, you will add to stewardship a level of generosity and gratitude. When you realize that the good gifts that you have are gifts given by a good God, you will learn to say thank you. And not just say thank you as a form of prayer, like God, thank you, but actually adopt an experience, an experience of heart gratitude, which is really much different than simply saying thank you, isn't it? Have you ever said thank you for something and had absolutely no gratitude for it? Yeah, like all the time, right? We do it as a matter of politeness. We do it as a matter of courtesy. Yeah, thanks for the meal. That was great, right? (laughs) When's the last time you said thank you and it really was an outflowing of genuine gratitude? where you were like, holy cow, I didn't deserve that. That was not mine, and I would not have had it had you not given it to me. Thank you. See, when we we come to see that everything we have was given to us, we actually come to experience genuine gratitude. And genuine gratitude, catch this, you guys, genuine gratitude unleashes joy. Discontentment always unleashes anxiety. Genuine gratitude unleashes joy. When we come to a place where we add an identity of stewardship to a genuine experience of gratitude, we will experience an increasing level of joy, right? That's what was happening in the Macedonians. They they were begging for a greater opportunity to give. Why? Didn't they understand the sacrifice? Didn't they feel the pain? Of course they did. They were the ones that were giving it up, but they knew there was something better than what other people were trying to keep. It was a greater experience of grace, a deeper experience of gratitude, a more profound experience of joy. See, that's the way grace works. Grace never increases when we hoard it. It only increases as we give it away. God gives us grace for the purpose of passing it on. Is that not exactly what the message of the gospel is? Jesus died for your sins, was buried, and rose again a new life for you. That is not simply a message so you can be forgiven and go to heaven someday. That is a message so that you can be redeemed and restored and then get on mission with God who is redeeming and restoring to share that message with others. God entrusts all things to us that they can be used for His glory. And in using it for His glory, it unleashes its joy, its good in our lives. And Paul is saying, look, 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 look at the Macedonians because they're cheerful givers. Man, they're not just cheerful givers, they're crazy givers, right? They're crazy cheerful givers. These guys are like so, I got to tell them to stop. Back off, guys, right? This is good, but there are other people giving. (laughs) You don't, you know, like let's slow this thing down. See, they're greedy. The Macedonians were greedy, but they were greedy for the right thing. And their greed for the right thing unleashed in them an experience of grace. And we need that same experience. Because look at the math, you guys. When you add an identity of stewardship 
to a genuine experience of, gener- of gratitude and joy, what does it release in us? Generosity. Everything we have has been given to us, and the God who gave it to us has not stopped giving. <laughs> that releases within us a desire to be generous, and as we are generous, it increases our joy because as grace comes and we give grace, grace unleashes within us an experience of joy. See, the goal here, and this is what I want you to catch, is we're talking about our capital campaign, is we're talking about the opportunities in front of us. My goal for you as your pastor is not just to raise money. We do need to raise money. There are opportunities in front of us that that I believe God is calling us to take advantage of, and, and we need to raise some money to make that happen, right? But the goal here is not just to get a church building. How many, how many churches got a church building and then died in them? That's not what we want. It's not just about getting the building. It's about becoming the right people to inhabit that building and use that building as a tool for the glory of God and for the good of this community. What I'm talking about is genuine heart change that comes from responding to grace. The goal is to become a people marked and driven by grace, greedy for a greater experience of the presence and glory of God. So I want to talk briefly about this crossroads of challenge and opportunity that's in front of us and unpack it, and I'm going to unpack it fairly quickly. First of all, in our current space, we are obviously pushing the limits of our capacity, have been for quite a while. We keep bumping up against that capacity and then shrinking a little bit. Um, You get about 100 people in this room, and it feels pretty packed. Um, And we've been running 2 to 250 for quite a while. And and as a result, um, you know, sometimes you'll have new people in, and honestly, it just doesn't feel like there's enough room for them. And before they get rooted into the community, they move on, Okay. We don't want the size of our building to become an obstacle to the sharing of the gospel. We want people to have a place, right? Um, Beyond that, our space is quite unstable, and we've talked about this. Uh, This space is, is, we've got a long-term lease, and the the owner has been incredibly generous with us. Um, But on his end, he has a very short-term trigger. He can can ask us to leave in any 30-day window, okay? Uh, If he can find someone to lease this space at full price. There is somebody that is actively pursuing our space, and it looks like everything is coming together. We've, been, you know, we've talked about this, right, a lot, um, and I've shared it with you. And I think we're going to get our letter probably within the next two weeks to the next two months. And I don't know exactly when we'll get it in that time span, but I'm thinking we're, it looks like at this point that it's going to happen, right? Now, here's the thing, you guys. I'm going to take a little quick note here. Get on the city and check your emails. Like if you're not on the city, get on the city. The city is our online communication tool. With some instability coming, this is going to be our primary form of communication to you. (laughs) There's important things we need to let you know about. If you're not using the tool that we're using to talk to you, you're not going to hear what we have to say. (laughs) You're going to miss some important stuff. So if, if you are a member or regular attender and you have not created a city account, visit our connection point. It takes like 15 seconds. We will sign you up. We will get you on there. That's our online communication tool. If you're signed up and you never pay attention, like you get a daily digest. That's all there is, right? But if you never open that email and actually look at what's being communicated in there, right, we're talking into an empty box, right? You're not hearing what, what is being said. Leaders, extra kick in the pants for you. If you are a leader and you are not regularly checking the city and paying attention to what's being communicated on there, shame on you, right? Shame, shame. Repent, right? Repent and pay attention to the city. Why? Because even this week I have released a number of important things 
and and the amount of of uh, response has been fairly limited. I think it's honestly honestly because people just aren't paying attention. They aren't reading the important information that's being put out there. So you guys um, pay attention to that. All right. The third thing is that we are in a season of increased ministry and increased expense. Our church is growing, and as it church, as it grows, we have had to make strategic choices about spending money and hiring people. Um, to specifically um, meet the needs of ministry, right? Right now, Trailhead Church runs on two and a half men. That's our staff, okay, as far as paid staff. Uh, we have a, a huge team of volunteers, and that's awesome, right? But, but our volunteers cannot continue to give 20 and 30 hours a week, right? And so as a result, while we've made these hires, we have definitely had to push kind of the financial envelope to push forward and increase the level of ministry that we're offering, but we've also had to put a greater financial strain on our budget, right? And so there's a challenge, right? And the reality is, as we keep growing, we're going to need to add more in the near future. We got two and a half men, which means at this point, and I know these two and a half men, we have, we have like zero administration support. Not good. <laughs> not for these guys, right? Um, Dan's pretty close, uh, but even that's not his, his strength, all right? We're going to be looking at administrative support and other things in the future that we're just going to need, right? We have a growing need for Christian counseling. Um, as we keep preaching the gospel, what we find is that people are just kind of honestly coming forward with their junk. I'm hurt. I was abused. I was... I, you know, my, my marriage is falling apart, you know, I'm, I'm, and, and what we're finding is more and more need to help people move into genuine gospel-centered Christian counseling, because a lot of times these things are unpacked, and it's incredibly healthy and necessary for them to unpack them in community, but sometimes there's a season where it's very valuable for us, for them to sit down with somebody who's going to help them ask the insightful questions and move into some of these really delicate areas and help them see how the gospel sets them free. Right now, the Karis House over in, in St. Louis, the Journeys Karis House is is one of our primary support bases, and we are the number one church outside of the journey sending people to the Karis House. That's not to say, I think that's a good thing, right? Are we any more jacked up than any other church? No, we're just more honest about it, okay? That's kind of what we do. We speak truth in love, right? And we get into real stuff, and we open up real problems, and we deal with that stuff. One of the things we want to do is open up a counseling, a Christian gospel-centered counseling center in the Metro East. There's a, there's a lack of genuine gospel-centered counseling in the Metro East, right? So there's a growing need. We have, we, have, we have found ourselves with a growing influence in church planting that we have not been able to fully harness. It's supposed to challenge an opportunity, right? Um, as, as I've shared with you guys, we have two church planting networks, Acts 29 and Converge Mid-America. Both of them are awesome. Converge Mid-America recognized a few things happening in Trailhead and basically said, we want to come alongside you and give you money to help you catalyze more church planting, right? We want you to become the regional church planting center for Missouri and central Illinois. We are only two and a half years old, and we have had a hand in helping to plant six churches. Well, about a half a dozen. I don't know exactly. I'd have to go back and add them up. We're planting our first daughter church in the spring, right? Church planting is not peripheral to the gospel. It is central to the gospel. When you read the New Testament, the central activity of the people in the New Testament was going out and sharing the gospel with people so they could be redeemed and restored through the power of Christ. We have opportunities in front of us that honestly we're very limited in being able to access because we can't host events. We can't invite people in. We can't do the equipping things, right? So we have challenges and opportunities, Now, here's the cool thing about following God. Every challenge is a hidden opportunity because God goes in front of us. You have never hit a crisis that God didn't pass through first. He is there waiting for you. If you just learn to develop eyes, eyes of faith, you will see how God meets your need in the middle of the crisis. And that's that's true for our church as well. God is moving ahead of us, right? We're going to lose this space. That's what it looks like. But I'm actually kind of excited about it. 
In the beginning, I was kind of mad, you know, kind of complaining a little bit to God, but I've come to see that, that this may be a hidden opportunity. What a great opportunity if, if, for, for people to move off the sidelines, to move from, from, from simply um, uh, observing church to participating, right? To move from consumer to producer and involved, right? Because at the end of church, it's going to be like, hey, guys, we've got to put the chairs away, <laughs> right? We've got to tear down. Join us. What a great way to meet people, to work alongside people, right? People aren't going to show up and go, oh, this is a great show. Oh, you know, they're going to say, oh, yeah, that was, that was engaging. Now they need me, <laughs> right? And they're going to get involved. I see that as a, as a plus, right? Is it going to be a lot of work? Yes. Is it going to put a lot of strain? Yes. Is God going to use it for good? Absolutely. Absolutely. Are we feeling a financial pinch right now? Absolutely. That's God's way of reminding us to be generous. See, God gives us opportunity in the middle of challenge. We're not exactly sure where God is leading. We don't know exactly what the solution is in front of us, but we do know that He's telling us that it's time to get ready. We think we know where we're going. We think we know where He's leading us. Obviously, we're keeping that with an open hand because things aren't nailed down. So, very specifically, when you leave today, you are going to be given um, a booklet, okay? And that booklet is kind of a summary of our plan right? We have done the hard work beforehand of saying, okay, we've, we have a challenge in front of us. How do we turn it into an opportunity? We want to share with you our plan and, and more specifically how we're calling you to be part of that plan. I'm going to summarize it very quickly. Our goal is to raise $550,000 over the next three years. Is that a lot of money? Yeah. Can we do it? Absolutely. And we have a plan to do it. We're going to share that with you. But it does mean that we're all going to have to be involved. We're all going to have to contribute right? One of the things you're going to hear us say a lot is we're going to talk about, about um, equal sacrifice, not equal giving. Everybody can be involved. The Macedonians could be involved. I don't think the Macedonians gave the biggest gift, but their gift made the biggest impact in some ways. Equal sacrifice, not equal giving, right? So we're going to raise $550,000. That's our, our goal over the course of three years. Um, what are we going to do with that? That's going to our goal, our, our, what we're working toward, is to use that money to purchase a building, specifically the First Presbyterian building here in town. It's about a half mile from here. It's a, it's a church that was, um, it's one of the historic churches in town, um, great space. They've got property outside of town. They, they're planning on building a new church and moving outside of town. They're, they're going to be putting their building up for sale. A lot of loose ends on this thing, nothing nailed down. I can't guarantee you this is exactly what God's going to lead us to. We think that's where we're going. If that's not where it's going, we'll go to plan B, whatever that is. That's God's plan A, right? We'll figure it out as we move forward. We're just being faithful to what's in front of us. We would love, though, to get this building. It is a historic building that allows us to be right in the heart of, of Edwardsville. And it would equip us to meet our goals, right? It would give us a place to gather. It would give us a place to, to serve and connect with our community. Um, it would allow us to invest in church planting, right? It, it would allow us to move forward being rooted in grace and moving forward on gospel mission, right? Growing an influence in our community and, um, and in the region um, by hosting events and doing things like that. All right, so at this point, what am I asking of you? What, what, what am I asking you to do at this point? Step one, let's try to become like the Macedonians. That, that's what Paul was saying to the Corinthians. Before I talk to you specifically about giving, I want you to become like the Macedonians. How did they do that? Take a look at this verse. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 5. The Macedonians gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. 
This is how they got to that place of radical generosity. This is how they shifted from greed math to grace math. Right? They gave themselves first to the Lord. They recognized that everything they had was, in fact, a gift from God. They were owners of nothing, stewards of everything. And that the God who had given them much would give them more. Everything they had, everything they were, everything they would have was, in fact, a gift from God and was a manifestation of grace in their lives. They simply acknowledged what was true. And they gave back to God what God already owned. They gave themselves to God. I'm calling us, as the people of God, followers of Christ, to give ourselves back to God, to recognize that everything we have, everything we are, is a manifestation of grace in our lives, to move into that place of stewardship, not ownership. And then once we're there, we ask the true owner what he wants us to do with his stuff. Once we're there, we say to the true owner, it's your money. It's your cars, it's your house, it's your 401k. It is your job, it is your career. I am a steward of the things that you have given to me. What do you want me to do with them? How do you want me to use them? So the first step is to pray. And I'm calling us as a church to prayer. Let's, let's get on our faces before God. Let's ask Him to meet our needs. Let us, let's ask Him to give us the ability to maximize the opportunities and overcome the challenges in front of us. And let's do it from a position of thankfulness and gratitude. Let's come to a place where we are genuinely, once again, renewing our gratitude to God for His incredible love toward us. I'm going to give you some tools to help you do this. We, we have a 20-day devotional that is specifically geared toward moving to gratitude um, in, our, in our stewardship. Uh, it was actually produced by uh, Tim Keller. Tim Keller um, has been a mentor of our circle of churches for a long time. Um, he's a pastor of a church in, in New York, and, and he has produced some material. We have permission to use it. And so I have, I have some printed copies at our connection point. Okay, we're going to spend five weeks going through this, so there's grace. If you miss a few days, you'll, you'll have plenty to make it up, but, but let's get real about this, you guys. Let's engage it, right? And that devotional is going to help you do it. It's about a 20-minute-a-day devotional, okay? Uh, we, we have it available at Connection Point. If you would prefer to have it emailed to you in a uh, PDF format, you can log on to the city. We're going to make it available on the city as a downloadable file. If you want it emailed to you, uh, for whatever reason, all you need to do is go to Connection Point, share your email. We will email it to you to make sure that you have that. As you're going through that, again, praying, seeking God, asking you to get greedy for a greater experience of joy, a greater experience of God. Some important dates that I want to let you know about as we move forward. On November 16th, which is um, just over two weeks away, it's a Saturday, we're going to have a financial forum because we know that as people get serious about their finances and start asking God, the owner of their things, some of you may be for the first time, God, what do you want me to do with the things you've entrusted to me? Some of you are going to be struggling with, holy cow, how do I even become a good steward of my budget? How do I even become a good steward of my finances? What does the Bible have to say about these things? So we're going to have a financial forum that is specifically geared toward helping people move into financial freedom, okay? It's going to be a one-day teaching event followed up by a structure that is going to help you reorganize the way you budget, handle your money, so you can specifically move into freedom instead of slavery. Right? So that you can actually start honoring God with your money instead of um, seeking to honor yourself with it, which 
telling you, man, that's freedom and it's joy. The second thing I'm going to let you know is that on November 24th, we're going to have something called a Commitment Sunday. And on that Sunday, we're going to ask our members and regular attenders to come back from their time of prayer and say, this is what God is asking me to give. This is what I believe God is leading me to give to this effort. More information will be coming out about that. And then on December 15th, which follows that, we're going to have, um, um, which I don't like the over-spiritualized title of it, but I couldn't come up with a better one. We're going to have a, a First Fruit Sunday. Uh, first Fruits were an activity in the Old Testament where the Israelites would come in, and instead of giving their whole offering, they would give the first fruits of their offering um, to the temple. And what that basically means is we're going to take up an offering on that day that allows us to basically kick this thing off. And we're going to ask people to pray about how much can you give right off the bat and how much can you give over three years. Okay? So again, I'm being incredibly upfront. I'm just trying to be very upfront about what we're facing and why we're facing it and why we're going to spend this time talking. Because my greatest desire for us is not just that we raise the money, but we become the kind of people that should be replicated in our community. People freed by grace to generosity. Free, people freed to joy instead of discontentment. People that can use a building instead of being used by it for the glory of God. All right, we're going to put some reflection questions up on the screen. I'm going to pray, and we'll go into our time of response. We'll share communion together in a moment. Again, you'll be given these on your way out. Don't forget to visit Connection Point to grab the, uh, the devotional. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you are an incredibly practical God, that you created us to be material beings, beings that need food, and clothing, beings that need sleep, beings that have to think about mundane things like chairs, heating, windows, where we're going to sit, where we're going to gather. Because in being creatures, it reminds us that we're not the creator. And in being needy, it reminds us that we have a great God who supplies our need. Father, I pray that as we kick this thing off, Lord, it really will be a season of renewed joy, renewed greed for the things that are truly worthy of that strong desire, that we would be a people truly greedy for your glory, truly greedy for a greater experience of your grace. Do this in our hearts. We pray it for your glory and for the good of this church and this community.